Thank you, Bill. Good morning to everybody. It is really great to see everybody here this morning, and uh, what, a, what a blessing it is for us to be able to be together, to worship God, to be in fellowship with one another, to study his word and grow spiritually, grow in our faith, because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We do always want to remember all of those on our prayer list and those who have been mentioned. Let's be sure to keep Brother Bill Judson, who just uh, had the scripture reading a moment ago. He has cataract surgery tomorrow morning. Please bless him, that, uh, please pray for him that he will be blessed, that everything goes well, including his recovery. Sherry Taylor got a note just before we began singing. Uh, Len's brother, her husband's brother Wally is out of the hospital, doing much better. Thank you for all your prayers, but let's keep praying for uh, Len's family. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer at this time. Father, we thank you for blessing us so much. <clears throat> we thank you for loving us so much and being so gracious toward us. Thank you for your healing hands to be upon so many who have been on the prayer list. But also, Father, we pray for your healing and your guidance of medical people and, and the individuals themselves as they, different ones, really need your, your guidance, your blessings, your care, your healing at this time for situations that they're in. And we pray for our brother Bill that you will guide everything to go excellently. Tomorrow with his cataract surgery, we pray for complete success and as easy a time and recovery as possible. We thank you and we praise you and give you the glory for Sherry Taylor's husband's uh, brother doing so well. We pray for your continued healing upon him and I believe another brother as well. And we pray that you will touch hearts with your truth. We pray, Father, that as you bestow blessings upon people that they will recognize that those are blessings from you and that you will guide them to come to you in faithful obedience, we pray, please. Now, please guide us through this lesson, we pray, and bless it, and along with all the lessons that have been taught this morning already, we pray for the power of your word to work on our hearts, to come to you when we, where we need to, and to live faithfully before you as we continue our lives before you, Father. Please be merciful and gracious with us. Please forgive us and hear a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. First Sunday of the new year. I appreciate Mark's lessons over the last couple of Sundays. He's been talking about the year gone by, the year ahead. Been talking about and going through some excellent points about how we can really focus on improving our lives as we start this new year. And it's not just the idea of making a New Year's resolution and saying, you know, we're going to lose weight or we're going to exercise more or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And then, as most of them do, they kind of fall by the wayside pretty quickly. But it's the idea of really focusing with a purpose and a determination, I'm going to do better this year. But I appreciate it's not that he's been focusing on on the physical matters that much, mostly, almost, almost completely, has been focusing upon a new spiritual focus for us. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about how, as we face the challenges and difficulties of life, we can't do it ourselves. We, we kind of feel like, you know, well, give me enough time, and I've had this kind of mindset back, in my, in, back earlier in my life, well, Enough time, this will work out. We can take care of this, we can take care of that. 
And then as the years went by, I came to realize there's not enough time for all of this. I can't do it all myself. You can't do it yourself. You must trust in God. I want to try to get that, that point across to us because I think a whole lot of the mindset of our culture right now is just put God off to the side. Now, a lot of people would say, well, no, I don't do that. Well, yeah, your life says that you do. Now, maybe you give God a little bit of a, a place in your life, but, but, and, and, and you may talk about how you love God and believe in God, but your life is lived for you. Your life is lived without that focus on, I want to be God's servant. I want to be with God for eternity in heaven. <clears throat> I want to leave that, live that life right now that will, will assure me that I will be with him in heaven. Now, so here's the fact. You can't do it yourself. You are totally dependent upon God. And you say, well, I've, I've done pretty well to this point. I go to work every day. I do that. God blessed you with that ability. God blessed you with that job. God blessed you with every day of your life and every breath of your, of, of, of your breathing every single day. That's all blessings from God. Now, we might think, well, well what are you talking about? Read James 1 and verse 17. We quote that many times. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, what does that mean? Everything that is truly good in your life, that job, your physical ability, if there are really good relationships, those are all blessings from God. Don't think that you're self-sufficient. You depend upon God for the next breath, for the oxygen in the atmosphere. Those are all blessings from God. Now, for your next breath of air, and, and, and whether you realize it or not, and I'm afraid that, again, our culture in our country right now is, is focused on pushing God off to the side, largely and probably predominantly. The devil is having his way right now. But whether you realize it or not, you need to wake up. You need God in your life. And not just in a verbal kind of way, giving him some token statements of, of thanks and appreciation and faith and all. You need to live your life for him. You need to live your life for him. In, in, in James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13, James wrote, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, we will spend a year there, we will buy and sell, we will make a profit. And then James goes on and says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Mark brought up a point in his class today. He said, over the last five or six years, I've attended more funerals than I ever have in my life. And as the years go by, every one of us can probably say that. I remember we had a, a lady in the congregation many years ago, dear lady, and she said, she said to me one day, she said, we have been to, I think she said, 60 funerals this year of our friends. And I said, I, people aren't gonna wanna be your friends anymore. <laughs> 
But just think, 60 funerals in one year. You see, we're not in control. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're in control, but God oversees. God provides for us. Now, he expects us to live responsibly before him, but we don't know what will happen tomorrow. Think about that particular text of scripture. You know, a common careless attitude is that we leave God out of our plans, don't we? Now, you might say, well, well no, you do, don't you? Are you planning a trip sometime in the next few months or maybe in this summer? Are you asking for God's blessings to be upon you so that you can take that trip? Are you asking for his direction and guidance so that that would be his will for you? And if it's not, that he'll make, that, make you aware that it, that's not really what he wants you to do at that particular time going on that particular trip? Do you ask God, as you think about your retirement plans, please guide me in this? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to prepare in this particular way? Would you give me your wisdom and guidance so that I can be ready for whatever life might throw at me in the years to come? See, are you asking God into your plans? And so it's common that we have careless attitude that we leave God out of our personal plans. Think about that text again. The very first two words, come now, come now, can also be translated, behold, listen, because what James is about to write is serious instruction that is to follow those opening two words. Come now, listen to what I'm about to write. And this is, inspi- this is inspired writing from God. Then he says, you who say, And if you get into the original language, my understanding is that the word translated say there, it denotes reasoning and thought. And that is the idea that these men made their plans with considerable thought, considerable and careful thought. But the problem was they did not ask God into their plans. They did not ask him, would you please guide us in this? Would you please help us to see if this is a wise direction to take or not? We need God on our side if we want to be successful in life, in every area of life. They did not include God. They made their plans. They gave it considerable, careful thought, but left God out of the planning process, left God out of their thinking process. And then he says, today or tomorrow. Now think about what that really entailed, those words, today or tomorrow. Number one, the time of departure. Number two, the destination was already in their mind. Number three, the length of their say. They said today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and spend there a year. So number one, the time of departure. Number two, the destination. Number three, the length of stay. Number four, the work that they planned to do. And then number five, the assumption that they were all by their devising going to be successful. All of those were in their plans, but God was not in their plans. They did not ask him. They did not seek his counsel, his guidance, and and isn't that pretty much the way we live our lives? So so many of us on such a regular basis, 
We make our plans. We plan for things in the future. But do we ask God, please guide us. Give us your wisdom, your direction. And then James goes on in verse 14, and he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. And he could have even put that in a more narrow focus. He said, you don't know what's going to happen next hour. You don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. Have you got a phone call or received information from somebody about somebody you knew who they were going about a daily routine and all of a sudden they had a heart attack and dropped dead? Or something else. They had an aneurysm that burst and, and they, they dropped dead in their home, doing work around their house. Normal routine things. James says you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. And then he, he, he tries to make the, the, the application. He says your life and the understanding, I think, is in terms of eternity is like a vapor. We've all blown out the flame from a wick and a candle and seen the little vapor of smoke drift up and then it's gone very quickly. We've all woke, you know, waked up in the morning and looked out the window and saw the ground covered with fog and within an hour or so the fog is lifted, it's gone. He says that's what your life is like in terms of eternity. In terms of eternity. I've used the illustration many times. It's not unique to me. I read it way, way back. I don't even remember how long ago. But the idea of eternity, somebody described it as if you could imagine a bird. Now, let's say a big bird. Let's say an eagle. And imagine the earth is formed of solid granite. And that, that eagle flies along the edge of the earth. And just the very tip of one wing grinds across the edge of that ball of granite one time a year. He said, now, if you could imagine that imagery and that eagle every year, he just flies across the edge of that earth on one side, that ball of granite the size of the earth, and just the very tip of his wing brushes against that granite wall. He said in the time that if he did that once a year, every year, in the time that it would take him to wear a hole all the way through that ball of granite the size of the earth, that would be just the beginning of eternity hard for us to really grasp eternity. We think about God being eternal, time without end, but he's also time without beginning, and that really is difficult for us to imagine. God always has been, is now, always will be. James says, your life, it's like a vapor. It's like that fog that is there in the morning, and within an hour or two, it's gone. It's like that little vapor of smoke that drifts up from the wick of that candle that you just blew out. So you think you've got forever. You think you've got all the time in the world. Ask any preacher who's been preaching for very long at all. They'll tell you, I have preached funerals for every age. From infant all the way up to very elderly. That's been my experience. 
life is but a vapor. So when we think, I can handle it myself, I can do it myself, I don't want to think about God because that means I become responsible for living a godly life. We just try to put God out of our mind. You can't guarantee your next moment. Proverbs 27 verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Think about every single war that has ever broken out. There was no war one day, and the next day the nation was at war. That's just one day. But we could also say one hour before the conflict broke out, there was no war, but then there was, just one hour later. How many times have you had an accident? Everything was hunky-dory one moment, and then all of a sudden, whatever happened, maybe it was a car accident, a car pulled out in front of you, or you hit a, sl you, you hit a, a, a slip of ice and you ran into a, another car on the side, whatever it was, or maybe you were walking along and all of a sudden you lost your footing and you fell. All of that within one moment, one moment. Things were this way and then all of a sudden cataclysmically changed. You see, you can't do it yourself. You need God. You cannot guarantee your next moment even. You need God. You must trust in God because you can't do it yourself. There will be... People out there who will be spouting off philosophical kinds of statements like you are the captain of your future and so on. Well, in that you are responsible for working toward your future, yes. But you may be looking 40 years ahead or 50 years ahead and you may not make it five years from now. You need God in your life, on your side, and not just platitudes, not just verbal statements, but your life needs to be lived for God. You can't guarantee even your next moment. Our sufficiency is not in and of ourselves. It is from God. Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 5, we have, we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. Can you work that job? Can you gain that knowledge to become that professional in whatever field of endeavor you're working toward? Those are blessings from God. Don't forget that. I did such and such, I accomplished such and such, I made this much money. God blessed you to be able to do that in ways that you probably didn't even think about. Our sufficiency is from God. Paul wrote also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 9, I am the least of the apostles. I've said many times, I, I, I could imagine that as Paul thought back about all of the evil he had done to try to destroy the church, to try to make Christians blaspheme the name of Christ because he thought he was serving God, but he was absolutely 180 degrees wrong. But after he learned his mistake, after he learned the error of his way, 
He repented of all of that. He became a Christian. He was baptized into Christ. Acts 22 and verse 16. But I could imagine that as he, and especially perhaps as he wrote those inspired letters, so many of them guided by God through the Holy Spirit to write those from the book of Romans all the way through perhaps even Hebrews, that, that there must have been times, and maybe even when he wasn't sitting down with pen in hand, but maybe as he would go to sleep, at, as he would go to bed at night and close his eyes and try to sleep, that he would see faces of people that he had tried to, to, to manipulate, try to intimidate into denying Christ. See, faces of people for whom he had voted for execution just because they were Christians. I can imagine there must have been chills at times going up and down his spine, tears dripping from his eyes. But Paul says, I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But... And this is, this is the, the, the fullness of God to a great extent. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not in and of myself, not by my own power, not through self-sufficiency. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not trusting primarily in God is to live a life that ultimately is doomed to failure. You say, so what, what are you talking about? I've got this house that I paid, that I, that I signed a contract for. It's $600,000. I've got this new car, maybe two new cars in the garage. What do you mean I'm not going to be successful? All of that is junk compared to a home in heaven for all of eternity. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. I just want to be blunt and straightforward with the truth. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 17, beginning with verse 5, Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. A shrub in the desert shall not see when good things come, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited and then the contrast blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord not just in the Lord but his hope is the Lord for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. What a contrast between the two realities of those lives. Even as a prisoner, Paul still trusted the Lord in making his future plans. This was the first time he was in prison in Rome. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, he said, I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know of your estate. And then verses 23 and 24, therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. 
God was in his plans. The Lord was in his plans. Even as he was looking forward while still in prison in Rome. Paul learned in a vivid way that oh, how he needed to trust in God. He wrote to the Corinthians, and, and we don't really know what particular instance, situation that he was talking about in this particular text of scripture. It may be something that is not included, but he's, he's referring to something. And he doesn't say specifically when or where or how. But he says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. But where in Asia? And at what time? And what was that trouble? But he says, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He said, we had the sentence of death, but God delivered us. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul said, what a lesson I learned at that particular time. I couldn't do it myself. But I came to learn that I needed to trust in God. He delivered us from that situation, that perilous situation, whatever it was. And he also learned that eternal security is only found in Christ. Philippians chapter three, beginning with verse three, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That is our, just our physical existence. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And so he began to list his pedigree, so to speak. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's saying, look, I have credentials. I have bloodline here that, is, that, that speaks, you know, powerfully. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee of the strictest of the sects of the Jews. Concerning zeal persecuting the church, I went after Christians. Concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, I kept the law of Moses to the T. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. His new realization I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He thought maybe at times arrogance might have welled up within his heart and thought he was pretty big and bad, pretty good on his own because of his bloodline, because of this being a Pharisee, because of his determination to stomp out Christianity. But he said, I, I, all that means nothing to me now. In Christ, that's where I really take my... My, my stock, that's where I really take my comfort, that's where I really take my security and my joy, my pleasure, my honor. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If your trust is primarily in material wealth, then you're not trusting in God. Earthly wealth is uncertain and untrustworthy in the bigger scheme of things. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, spiritual treasures, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the real key, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is your main focus in life? Is it making money? Is it material, material possessions? Is it professional success or is it getting to heaven? Is it serving God? Is it walking with God? Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now notice the response of his disciples. His disciples were astonished at his words because you see in the culture of that day as to a lesser extent maybe, in the culture of our day. To have wealth is to look up to those people who have that wealth. Those are the elite within the culture, within the society. And what are you talking about, Lord? That it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on and he answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. And there's the key to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The point being, if his trust is primarily in his riches. And so Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Here's the consistent message throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, from both God and Christ. Trust me. Trust me. Think about it. Matthew 6 and verse 33. Sermon on the Mount still. Jesus has talked about the necessities of life. And then as he comes toward the end of the sixth chapter, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. The necessities of life, the things you really need. Trust me, he says. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're looking for that peace in life. You're looking for that rest. You're looking for that contentment. Jesus says, come to me, trust me. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We might scratch our heads at time and say, how can God love us that much? While we are horrible sinners, and he still loves us so much that he sent his son to that cross to die for us. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would you give your only begotten son his life for anybody you know? Even a family member? If giving his life would mean they would have the opportunity to live? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Faith in God, faith in Christ, trust me is the message. 
Trust me. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. As Jesus had arisen from the tomb, as he walked upon the earth another 40 days, presenting himself risen before hundreds and hundreds of individuals, proving that he is the Savior, as he was ready to ascend back to heaven until that final day of judgment when he comes again. He told the apostles, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. Whatever this life throws at you and me, if we will surrender our lives to our Lord and Savior in baptism, he says, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What he did for us on that cross, he says, trust me, I came so that you can be saved. I brought that gospel message of salvation that is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, Romans 6 and verse uh, 1 and verse 16. Trust me, that's what I came for, to be your savior. Trust me as your savior. You cannot be saved by yourself. Paul wrote, for by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Do you want that eternal home in heaven? By God's grace, he offers that to you. He offers your forgiveness, your redemption, your salvation through his son, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But only by his grace, as you come to him in faithful obedience, he says, trust me, I've got you. When it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being the church, as Jesus was ready to ascend back to heaven again, what did he tell the apostles? Go everywhere, preach the gospel to everybody. He who believes in it is baptized, obeys it, is going to have eternal life, going to be saved. And that's still our mission today. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Sometimes it becomes frustrating for us as we, as we continually try to, to reach out with the gospel message to people around us, maybe to family members. And as we strive to do here at Sunny Slope all over the world with our podcasts, and maybe even somebody we've worked with, we talked with, we tried to encourage, maybe even study with, and they still hold back from obeying. And that can become frustrating. If, not, if we're not careful, it can become discouraging. But what did Paul say? He said, you just plant the seed. You water that seed. You keep teaching. You keep reaching out. You keep teaching the gospel incessantly. God will give the increase. Trust me. Trust me, God says. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus is talking about the importance of understanding our need to worship God, particularly he's focusing upon giving. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Boy, the devil really knows how to work on us when it comes to our relationship with our money, doesn't he? And so we find ourselves really having a hard time a lot of times thinking about what should I be giving in worship to God? 
What can I be giving in worship to God? Am I looking for excuses? Am I trying to find loopholes? Jesus said, give as you have been blessed. Trust me. God will continue to bless you according to how you give to him. Trust me. And then as we're facing, facing eternity, facing the end of our life, whatever age we might be at that particular point, Jesus said, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Meaning you'll have that home with me in heaven. You'll have eternal life. Live faithfully unto death, and you'll receive that eternal life. The crown of life. Jesus says, trust me, just live the faithful life. All through your life, not just talking about faith, but faithfulness is my faith put into action through obedience and dedication and commitment and service. It's a lifestyle. He says, live that lifestyle. Trust me, and you'll be with me forever in heaven. Are you alone trying to direct your life? Trusting only in yourself? Or are you trusting God with your life? Always seeking his direction, his guidance, his protection, his wisdom, his blessing. What a great time to turn our lives around. If you need to be baptized into Christ, what in the world are you waiting for? If you think you can do it all by yourself, think about all of your friends who have messed up, all of your friends and family members who have died and gone on. You need God in your life. You can't do it yourself. You must turn to God. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here. Ask us. If you want to study we're ready to help you. Ask us. If you need to come right now, turn your life over to God through Jesus Christ. Stop trying to do it all yourself because you can't do it successfully. You must trust in God. Won't you come as we stand and sing?